Welcome back to the Be Investable podcast. My name is Michael Melfi, and today we have Brian Finnerty on with us. He is the co-founder and CEO of Protect, Sell, and Novi. He also is one of the co-founders of a company that does some really cool things that we're going to learn more about here today besides Protect. And so without any further ado, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell us a little bit about Digital Lease 2. I want to welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. Thank you so, so much for, for joining us. And, and I guess what I'd love to do is, do you mind sharing with our listeners real quick what Project Cell does, but also how you came up with the idea? Uh, sure. You know, and I'll, I'll start a little bit with the end in mind. I sold the company back in 2015, so I haven't been there for a couple of years. Um, but in, in essence, it's a cell phone insurance company that we started back in 2006, myself and a business partner, Rob Emery with the premise that uh, we had been in the cell phone business before on the retail side. And we saw a lot of people coming back into the stores that either didn't know they could have bought insurance, bought insurance and didn't like it uh, or something in between. So we thought we'd create a program that had uh, no claim attached to it. Meaning if you broke or lost your phone, you didn't need to file a police report. Um, we'd get it back to you within a day. And in fact, wait for you to send yours back to us versus the other way around. And in the process, we'd also have a program running in the background that obviously uh, user enabled would allow you to back up. And this is prior to any of the uh, iPhone um, nuances you have now today, but it would allow you to back up your contacts and uh, any of your photos and even to some degree your text back then. So that in case you did lose your phone, we could help you put it all back together and send you that new phone uh, really with as much or as little interruption to your life as possible. That was the premise. So we grew it from zero in revenue in 2006, uh, all the way up to about $125 million by 2012. We sold half the company to a publicly traded insurance company called Fortegra. And in 2015, we sold the second half as part of that deal to them and closed out the transaction. Uh, my last day there was April 5th of 2015. And uh, since then, Started an investment company called Opportunity Seed Capital, and that's what I do every day today. Awesome, awesome. And we're going to talk about Opportunity Seed Capital in a little bit, and I want to thank you so much for that background, and congrats on all the success. And for our listeners, you know, we hear about the exit, and that, that is unbelievable and amazing. And I want to take a step back, because as with any journey, there's some challenges along the way. Was there, was there one moment for you and Rob that were the most challenging, or that really stuck out as something that really was a defining moment in that journey for you guys? Uh, yeah, there were a few. Um, you know, the, the, the first one was really just building a product that we thought would resonate in the market. And I, I remember clear as day, uh, a year after we had launched, we only had six uh, locations that were selling our product. And we had never sold more than 20, um, 20 insurance plans in a day. And I know that it sounds kind of crazy, but we were sitting there watching the computer and refreshing, refreshing, and we finally got to 20 points. And, and for whatever reason, um, that to us was validation that the market wanted what we were selling. Uh, in hindsight, we were selling almost 2,000 plans a year, or sorry, 2 million plans a year. So the idea of selling 20 a day, you know, is, is laughable when we look back on it, but it was really the proof that gave us confidence keep going on the path because I tell you if another couple of months went by and we weren't hitting something in that range, uh, we probably would have said to ourselves, Hey, this sounded like a great idea, but we weren't doing it. There was a proof of concept stage 
And, uh, you know, I'll say we turned a bad thing into a good thing. We got into our first uh, serious piece of litigation, like most businesses will up to or against, whether it's an employee, whether it's something in the marketplace. But we got notification of litigation from Assurian, which still today is the world's largest um, mobile device insurance carrier. They're about an $8 billion company today. At the time, they were about $5.5 billion. And when they essentially notified us that they were suing us for infringement on working with the other carriers, Verizon, Sprint, and AT&T, um, there was certainly oh crap moment. Uh, but it was also very validating to us to say that we've poked the bear, we're on the radar. We clearly at that point had become number two in the industry. Mm-hmm. And again, that was proof to us that we were on the right track and kind of time to dig in and, and you know, go trade blows a little bit. So those two defining moments, there are plenty of others, but pretty important to us. One saying, yes, you're there from a product perspective and the other sort of market validation that when the big guy says, we see you and we're paying attention to you, you know, we didn't run and hide. We certainly took notice. Nice. And you said 20 to 21, and obviously you went on to have 2 million a year. You know, at the end of the day, you were able to sell over 400 dealers. How did you go about, or how did, what was the key to getting that traction? Well, really, the, the, the big momentum builder was building alliances. Uh, we at the time were just doing some hand combat, literally uh, uh, cellular and more Rob stores. He had eight locations, and then we'd go to a um, Chuck's Wireless in Indiana, and he had four locations. And we were just chipping away, but really with no major momentum that would take us to the next level until we went, we kind of did some soul searching and said, look, what's the common thread, regardless of whether there was Verizon, AT, AT&T or Sprint, um, or Timo, and the reality was most of them were using one of three point of sale systems. And that was, you know, going back to the number of aha moments in the business, it was, we need to link up with one of those one-to-many sales opportunities and pitch being a partner with uh, that comes at a cost. Obviously, there's a commission that goes along with being integrated into a point of sale system, but we went from being an ancillary piece of a cell phone dealer's business to an integrated piece because we were sitting right there at the computer screen at checkout. And uh, that very quickly took us from the hundreds to we ultimately ended up with 6,000 locations selling around the world. And it was easy way for us to kind of start adding hundreds, if not thousands at a time versus the ones and twos. So, you know, we, we literally tripled our business every year after doing that. Um, I believe it was 2010 or 11, made the Inc. 500 at number 249. So we'd really, you know, not only garnered some industry uh, attention, but we were also some inroads with dealers as a nice, good alliance in their business because they knew at the end of the day, the customer at, you know, one of their probably top five dire moments you think in life, if you lose or break your cell phone and you're disconnected from your family, your friends, your social media, all those things it's a stressful time. And we made it so easy that no one would be coming back into a cell phone dealer, shaking their fist at them of why didn't you help me out? It was literally called 1-800-PROTECT-SELF. And we were able to take care of their problem. And 24 hours later, they've got a brand new device in their hand and thanking the dealer that they had sold them this cell phone insurance policy. And I don't know about you, but probably like most people, you're not super excited, whether it's boat insurance, car insurance, you know, motorcycle insurance or homeowners insurance, you're not that thrilled to write the check every month or quarter or year, uh, or you're not, you know, throwing a nice warm hug around your insurance agent. Uh, 
But in this case, we're able to spring a little bit of that. And as you'd imagine, it's a lot easier to, to sell into that environment where it's an invitation versus a convincing. Make, makes total sense. I, I, the the, the, the uh, mobile phone carrying uh, case industry is, is I think, an inexpensive way that people tried to, uh, to achieve that. But it, I don't think it quite works the same. And I know as someone who's used the insurance and been able to uh, get it replaced, it's been so valuable. So thank you for all that you did with that. And I got to ask you, tremendous growth. People look at that, they get all excited. Um, we hear these stories of growing pains. How were you able to maintain the culture that got you your early success all the way up to when you had all those employees and all those loca uh, dealers and you were doing all that revenue? Uh, good question, and it may be too long of an answer to fit within the podcast, but, but in general, I've, I've got to give a huge amount of credit to Gino Wickman and, and his uh, entrepreneurial operating system, otherwise known as EOS. I've mm -hmm. used it in every one of my businesses now over uh, going on 10. So it really does emphasize, you know, at the very top of the food chain with the visionary or the founder that as go you, so go they. And so if you cannot create a, a systematic policy that includes what your ethos is as a company, what your core values are as a company, and they're not just stickers that go on the, you know, the wall above the front door. It's mm -hmm. something you really do. You're hiring, firing, training, and retaining people by. Uh, we've used that throughout, again, all of those companies. And it allowed us to scale because it reminded us of who we are. It, it challenges us. Uh, Rob and I spent many uh, a you know, bare-fisted battle in, is it more important to be a player in our company or is it more important to do what it takes to make people happy and comfortable? Um, those may seem like they're not interchangeable, but the reality is you can only have so many core values. And we've got to know that when we hire somebody, um, quite frankly, we look for athletes because we want people who have been in the trenches in a team environment that know what it's like to compete. Most importantly, know what it's like to lose. And what do you do when you lose? Because in business, we lose all the time. We lose a deal we should have got. We lose a lawsuit we shouldn't have been into. We lose uh, an idea we're going to market with. And to me, I know I'm blending a couple of statements here, but it's all about culture. Uh, I am all about what are you going to do next? And I've got to be the first and foremost guy at the front of that because all of our employees, whether, you know, when we started with three, Rob, myself, and an assistant, to when we had 125, um, bad things happen. And when they do, all those eyes point to you. You've got to be able to sit there and say, look, no matter what, we're not wavering from the ethos and core values of our company. And at the end of the day, we're about our people. We're about their success. And with their success, that will blend into our client's success. And we just don't deviate from it. We don't take shortcuts. We don't bow down when it's time to go fight for our customers and our clients. And we also know when it's right to say we're sorry and we goofed up and to make it right. So I know that's a long answer, no, uh, but good. it really it's beautiful. It boils back as go you, so go they as a founder. And as you know, other entrepreneurs listening to this, um, it is not just a, a, a trite statement. It's something that uh, I, I, on an annual basis, two days, solely focused on that topic and each quarter we spend on it as a leadership team whether that's one of the person on our leadership team or with Protexo we had 11 um, it's something we spend a lot of time with because again when you go to the hiring process that's when you start building your culture you don't start when the person's been hired 
you start during the hiring process and you've got to really quickly describe who you are and most importantly who you are not and so in that uh, you're letting somebody know that if what they're looking for is an environment where your expectation is to outwork your coworker, uh, you're not going to be comfortable with us we're about results we're about getting there with the least resistance we're about finding better solutions regardless of whose idea uh, for some people they just don't like that because they don't feel like they get enough credit they don't feel like they can pound their chest um, I'd rather them know that now in the hiring process so they don't get there and say man this isn't what I thought it would be so a sure. little snippet of what, what our culture was about no that's that's awesome and for our listeners if you go back and listen to some of the previous ones you know Peyton was on from EOS so you, you get to hear him talk a little more about that because it is a great program you can use also, you'll get to hear, you know, Brooke talk a little bit from Align to Thrive. They talk a little bit about culture and just, you know, we have these people on because it's so important and so valuable. And, and when I hear Brian say things like that, it just reaffirms what we're doing here with being investable and with this podcast. So thank you for that, Brian. Uh, you know, you yes. alluded to sports and you obviously had a pretty illustrious career, not just in college, but on to the, uh, the Detroit Rockers. And I think there was a a starting lineup for all-star teams and you've done it. You've, you've had a very successful career outside of uh, just in business and athletics. And, and you know, you alluded to that when you hired, you look, looked for athletes. And I guess my question for you is what in sports or what in your experiences did you take away into your business life, into your own founding a business and owning a business? Uh that's a great question. You know, I, I, if I distilled it back and I kind of pointed a little bit to it, to me, it was, uh, there's some humility that sometimes is forced upon you as an athlete. I shouldn't say sometimes, always. Huh. You could play the great team sport. You could play one of the greatest games of your career and lose. Uh, you could play one of the worst games in your career and win. Mm-hmm. And the humility comes with reminding yourself that sometimes you don't deserve that attaboy for the win. It is about the team lifting you up. And at other times, you can't point to how great you played when at the end result, you didn't win. So I think there's a a big dose of humility that I learned. I did not arrive in the pro sports arena with Uh, my my youth. If you look back historically and said, hey, tell us about your life between 18 and 24. um, I I wasn't an overly humble young college athlete. I was a kid who really struck and what my identity was and where I fit in. And I thought it was about pounding your chest and taking credit every chance you got. Uh, But I found out over that career of making a living at the game that it just didn't work that way. And then being around guys like Frank Tanana, uh, Jeff Potton, um, uh, man, I I, I could go Steve Eiserman for sure. We were owned by the Illich family. So got to spend time around him. Uh, Just really good men who understood the value of where sport fit. And again, I point back to mistakes are going to happen. Losses are going to happen that aren't your fault, as are wins that aren't your fault. What do you do next? And I, I, that was a driving force that I took into business. It was really about, hey, if you lose a game, how do you break that down and know that as a preparation, it won't happen again? You can't control the bounce of the ball or engulf a ball hitting a tree and going left or right. That, that's out of your control. What are you going to do next? Uh, business is very much the same. And so I like to look for that in a person. And when I say athletes, I'm talking about people that may have played in a marching band. They may have been part of a dance team. Uh, They may have done robotics at school. Uh, They may have well competed on a football field for University of Michigan or Michigan State, whatever it is. 
have you been in a team environment where there is winning and losing involved? And in the interview process, uh, with 100% certainty, I'm going to talk to them about, tell me, you know, what were one of the, tell me something about some of the losses that you faced in whatever arena you were in, and what did you do next? I think you find out a lot about people, and, and that's what I took forward. Hmm. That's great. Hey, you, you, you do a lot outside of just business, and, and, and whether it be providing educational, sitting on recreational committees, some of the stuff you've done with the Tri-County Dare Association, and, and you know, at this point, you've had the business success. You, you, you've had the financial success. What is success to you now? Oh, man. Uh, success to me is not looking at a scorecard. You know, I, I did spend a lot of years as a young entrepreneur. I think we're sort of told and driven. Society says when you make X amount of money or you grow a company to X size, you know, man, you, you drive whatever car that comes with that, that job or that business. Um, somehow you're a success. And the reality is I just turned 51. Uh, I got two incredible young boys who are 17, getting ready to go into their senior year of high school, looking to go to college. Uh, my wife has put up with me for over 25 years and we're still married. Uh, you know, that's a crazy ride in itself. Success to me is, have I, have I been a great husband? Have I been a great father? Uh, have I been transparent with my family on what I, you know, struggle with at work and not at work? And am I open to saying that I'm sorry and uh, willing to laugh at them first at myself and what we do as a family? And I know it sounds pretty warm and fuzzy, mm -hmm. but I can tell you when those things are right, uh, not very much in business goes wrong because they are so very tightly connected um, that as I mentor young professional uh, men specifically and mentor them, you know, they're looking at me a little bit like, I barely have a girlfriend right now, but my reminder is build a culture for yourself that, again, goes back to your ethos and core values, one that will say, is it inviting to have your girlfriend consider being your wife, having your wife consider having kids, because that culture doesn't just happen. It's not accidental, because when that harmony exists, my wife and I spend a lot of time talking about harmony in our family that includes business, it includes our employees or hosting at our house tonight uh, for a lot of our employees um, it's it's harmony so when those things are right I, I'd say man success that's that's awesome and, and I, I want to dig a little deeper with that if you're okay and, and the reason I ask that is I, I get to meet with entrepreneurs and work with them and whether they're early in their career or later on there's this certain amount of drivenness that that's the maybe the athlete in them or whatever it may be that they have to feel until I achieve this or until I get this or until I hit that dollar amount then I can have the balance. And, and you say it, and, and, and you know, I, I've talked to them about it. They'll be like, well, that's easy to say for you. You know, they're pointing to whoever already has had the success, but how do you do it along the way? Do you have any advice for someone who's in the thick of it that's right in the middle saying, I don't have time to balance. Right now, my personal life, my family, it's gotta be on hold so that I can make the time for the business initiative that I have in front of me. Uh, yeah, I'll give you I'll give you two hopefully short examples so they fit within our confines here. But you know, one is, um, and it was really the premise for starting the foundation from the proceeds of Protexo. So my wife and I sat down and said we're very blessed that we did arrive at a financial spot where working every day was not an absolute thing. We're technically retired, and so the the way we got there was we decided 15 years ago what the percentage of any of our companies when we sold it was going to be. We were never thinking about Protexel being as successful as it was. 
So we didn't leave it to chance to what that number would be. We just knew, and I it drove a lot of people close to us pretty crazy because they couldn't believe you're giving away that much to a foundation, you're never gonna see it again. That's what everybody waits to do. The reality is Denise and I had already decided that. We knew that when we sold our company, we were gonna give away way more than anyone had ever expected, starting with us. And so we determined what that was. I ask that question to entrepreneurs all the time. What will you give away when you are successful? And what are you giving away now, right? We're just gonna pick that topic. So giving away now is I don't have enough I don't have enough time. I can't give it to somebody else. There's certainly not enough money in the bank because I'm, gosh, I'm pouring every dollar back into my business or I'm taking trips to make my family happy because I'm not there. But when I get successful, I will give 10%, 5%, 20%, whatever the number is. And I map that out for them. And I say, well, why not start doing that now? Because that's the proof. And the reality also back into your business itself. If you're going to say that you're going to do it, see what it looks like now and, and beyond that plan. It could be that you're giving 2% of your time. It could be that you're reinvesting 5% of your company's investment into your community. It could be whatever you want it to be. But it won't happen if it's later because the number will always change. None of us know exactly where we're going to end up on a plus or a minus. So I, I always encourage both young and old entrepreneurs, but, but, but anybody in this space, picture what it's going to be, settle on it, know that you'd be happy with that that number, those hours, that whatever, the time with your family. There are only so many hours in a week. What are the things that you love to do? Commit to it now. There are going to be seasons in there, week to week, where you might be traveling a little more or a little less. But trust me, the, the employees back at your business will value you way more and listen to you way more when you honor your commitment to your family versus, oh, I worked 10 more hours than you did this week. <laughs> you know? So, Again, that's just one guy's opinion, but I've found that, that when that gets out in front of the busy season, the work, the, the things that we're sort of muddled in with every day, it does create a bit of clarity to say, no, I still actually know what are the most important things, and I commit to doing them first. And by the way, when I do that, the rest kind of falls in place. Brian, I think that is absolutely fabulous. And thank you for sharing that. And, you know, every time I think there's kind of a, all the interviews that we do on, on the show are really good. And there's usually nuggets that take away. And, and to me, answering that question, your answer was just was absolutely awesome. So thank you for that. I, I, I really cannot stress how important your answer was around that and creating that balance early on. Because, you know, I'll admit myself, I'm guilty of it. We, we all can get guilty of it. And if you don't just commit and put it into writing kind of, as you said, you're going to find an excuse not to get it done. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, when I first heard you, all I heard was a dollar amount. But, but I think by the time you're done with your answer, it's not just a dollar amount. It could be time. It could be just making time for your family. It could be making time for charity. It could be making time for mentoring. It could be making time for anything. But you got to start now and not wait till then to get it started. So I think that's great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we're, if, you know, with, with Opportunity Seed, again, it started as a foundation. And the premise of the foundation was that we had this amount of money that we could have never imagined to give away, the premise of it being to relieve the pressures, uh, mostly local because we know how big the problem is, in pay to play anything, pay to play sports, pay to play arts, pay to play music. Uh, th this pay to play model is driving so many families and kids uh, out of the opportunity to experience that. So the foundation is, is specifically rooted to help support schools and organizations to start moving the needle back towards play 
not paid to play, but that we were giving away the the foundation. We don't take money from outside organizations. So as we were looking at how we're going to replenish the fund, uh, my wife, very frankly, as she always does, said, you know, I know it's going to sound stupid, but why don't you get out of here from running a foundation? You're, by the way, you're too sappy and too easy. Uh, we need to have some better policies in place. Let me handle that. You go help young businesses, invest in them, grow them, and when there are sales or exits or proceeds, we take 100% of that money. We first re replenish the fund, Opportunity Seeds Capital Fund, so we can do it again, and all the rest of the proceeds go into the foundation. But again, that was a learned experience. I haven't been doing this all my life, like you and like probably most others. You say, man, I wish I would have started this 30 years ago instead of 10 years ago. Um, but it's been a really good grounding effect for us to replenish that. And the last thing I would leave on that topic with the listeners is um, if that does totally resonate with you or it feels a little too ambiguous, um, we are all about time, treasure, and talent. And that is, that is absolutely the core, time, treasure, and talent. And not always will you have all three of those things. But we each have a God-given talent for sure. And time is something that we are in control of that is our currency. We can choose to give it away at work. We can choose to give it away to our kids or family. We can choose to give it away to things that are wasted time. And treasure is something on the side that sometimes we don't get to decide. But in terms of the treasure, the, the talent and the time, you can absolutely decide today how much you want to give away of that to your point, to your family, to your community, to whatever. So that isn't a, when I get there. That's when I can stop guys and say, time out. You can't tell me you don't have enough time. You get to choose every day where you spend it. Let's reprioritize. Let's talk about your talents. Again, you know, you go pretty deep on both of those. And treasure typically follows last. So that's an easy one. And then for young guys who are like, okay, I get it, time, treasure, talent, young gal, go find somebody that you think has made it or is successful and talk to them about time, treasure, and talent. And you'll probably find that there's some imbalance there that you're going to want to spend a little more time with that they may look successful they may fly first class drive a fancy car and have that second home up on a lake and that's great but when you talk to them about time treasure and talent most often you find i'm on my second marriage i don't spend enough time with my kids because my ex-wife has them or my ex-husband or i'm 62 years old i don't get to see my grandkids because i really never invested in my kids so without going too on that topic for the people, you can start asking some of those questions about people you think are successful, and that helps you chart what it looks like. So a couple of, you know, small practice. And you, you alluded to the opportunity seed capital, uh, the fund you have. And just for our listeners, because obviously there's a lot of people that are listening, this is called the Be Investable Podcast. Do you want to share a little bit about, about that, that fund and what type of deals you guys do look for? Sure. Uh, and I'll try to keep it brief. We're very specific about what we look at. Um, it is sports related and involves technology. So between those two things, and then the third piece of that triangle would be if there is a land component or management of land, that could be a sports facility, could be an office building. Uh, it could be something you want to convert into a, um, a sports-based facility. We certainly keep all three of those things as outside tenants, and then we look for businesses that have a concentric circle in the middle. So give you a couple of examples. 
uh, V1 Sports, which is a golf technology company. If you watch golf on TV and see any of the major networks using lines and circles to kind of show posture and swing angles, that's our technology. So it certainly combines sports and a technology component. Uh, Galway Bay, which is our golf clothing company, uh, our invested company in our portfolio, they have a very highly technical fabric. It's a very unique fabric, very lightweight, breathable in the golf industry. We don't play in the golf shirt. We don't play in the uh, golf hat business. We are specifically a outerwear that you want to wear, meaning when it's raining, inclement, windy, cold, you're going to want to wear our gear because it's so technically adept. Um, but, you know, plenty of other examples that would fit right kind of inside that sweet spot triangle, but we really try to stay in there. And the main reason is, again, it goes back to sort of culture and ethos that I know what I'm good at, and that's being involved in a competitive environment that uses technology to better a company. Technology could be in a fabric, technology could be literally a, a software program or uh, technical writing. And I know I bring value there to the founding partners. And in this case, I'm helping to be co-CEO of V1 Sports right now for a small window of time to help this company get where it's at. I can bring value to that. So me investing in those companies, they know that my feet will follow my money. If someone would say, well, what about investing in an artificial knee? Um, I would tell you, I, I don't bring anything to that equation. So it falls outside of what I do every day and what I would be contributing as a board member or as someone sitting next to a CEO or founder. So just to kind of add some context to it, uh, really try to stay focused on that sports technology and I'd say land associated with those things. That's, that's our key component. Perfect. Well, thank you so much in that. And the last question, this is called the Be Investable podcast. When you hear the words Be Investable, what does that mean to you? Oh, boy. Um, you know, Be Investable to me is, are you, are you a person, uh, I'll give it to you in two concepts, right? One is personal and one is as a company. Mm -hmm. So as a person, it's, can you prove your aptitude for what you do? Uh, I just gave you a little snapshot of, you know, what would be my pitch to, as an investor, what do I bring to the table to, to an existing startup that's, that's just past cash flow stage? I want them to know that I bring something to the table. I got to be able to back it up. I better be able to talk about it. And it's got to be true. Um, so that's pretty simple. Uh, on the company side, I'm a math guy by nature. So to me, being investable means that math has a couple of pretty simple tenets. It always tells a story, it has no emotion, and it never lies. That's math. Call it finance, call it whatever you will, but those three tenets are absolutely true in my book. If your company's going to be investable, if you've got what it takes on the personal side and you can prove your aptitude, and you've got a business that when we put some hard math onto it, some of the answers might be, I don't know, but when it comes to what's the value of a customer over a lifetime, over the year, over a month, What's the cost of acquisition for a customer? What's your true embedded margins before you get the operational costs? I won't go down in all the grimy details, but the math, again, has no emotion, always tells a story, and it never lies. As an investable person running that company, can you live with that? And oddly enough, Michael, I can't tell you how many times I've just asked those simple questions, and an hour later, I have no answers, or I get a lot of spun out um, pieces of irrelevant data, which tells me very quickly, this is not the right place for me to invest. So I always find young, uh, I should keep saying young, because I'm old. 
uh, entrepreneurs that at the end of the day, the first thing you can do is really pull back the covers on everything you're doing business or your concept of the business and apply the hardest math equations you can and find out what breaks. Something will break in the equation. That's why you are where you are. You might be on your path to rocket ship acceleration, but the reality is something in there won't mathematically make sense. And given that there's no emotion, it's not you, it's the math. There's a story there. You're willing to listen to it and you got to believe it's true because the math says it's so. You can live with that and you can work with it. So that's a long answer to what I think is investable, but it really just boils down to those two things. How are you as an individual? And, you know, mathematically, financially, can you prove out what you're doing with those tenants? I love it. Thank you so, so much, Brian. I appreciate your answers and I appreciate your time and joining us here on the the podcast today. Oh, it's been been a blast and uh, appreciate everything you do for the entrepreneurial community. Uh, You know, just so helpful. As uh, an older guy in the business, I can tell you this is such a needed thing just in terms of what are guys saying, what's out there, what do I agree with and disagree with, Uh, but that sort of sweet stuff that you put out there, uh, really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, once again, my name is Michael Melfi, and today we had the pleasure of having Brian Finnerty on the podcast with us. You're listening to Be Investable Podcast. Until the next episode, stay investable.